Okay, let me give you the word for today. I, um, my intention is to do a teaching this morning as best as I can. Um, if I shift gears unexpectedly, don't be alarmed. But I want to be clear about what I'm talking about this morning. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. And I, I want people to be taught the word of God so that we can have something that we can put into practice in our lives. All right, that ought to always be the intent of the ministry of God's word. That people receive something that they could not just hear, not just say amen to, but something that they can actually apply to their lives. And for the last three Sundays, uh, beginning with the week of prayer, I have been doing a series of sermons on prayer. And this morning, I conclude that series but what I, or how I want to conclude it, is talking about another aspect of praying or something in addition to praying that I have not been talking about the last three Sundays, and that is fasting. Now, this will not be uh, a comprehensive teaching on fasting because there's a whole lot more that could be said about the subject matter than I, than I have time to talk about this morning. And so this is just to, to give us some idea of how God sees fasting and how God is willing to respond to our fasting, particularly when we join our fasting to our praying. And I am speaking to you from Isaiah the prophet, chapter 58, and I will begin reading at verse 6 through verse 12. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rare God. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail those from among you shall build the old waste places you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to dwell in 
Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its life-giving and life-transforming power. And we pray now, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, who is the author and the teacher of the word of God, we pray that he will fulfill this office work and ministry in our hearts and lives today. Give us insight, O God, into the word. Give us understanding of the word and grant us grace to apply the word to our hearts and our lives. And we give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. And so as I indicated, um, we've been encouraging you to become a part and become involved in the praying that we have embarked upon uh, from last year and into this year as well as a local church and also personally and individually. And uh, today I am going to talk about fasting because fasting is something that we can add to our praying and make it prayer and fasting. And so we have been encouraging fasting um, during our prayer times. Um, but, you know, fasting is something that we don't talk about a whole lot. We don't preach about a whole lot. And, you know, some Christians don't like to hear about fasting because we like to eat. And uh, so we, you know, when it comes to telling us to deny ourselves meals or some delicacy, we don't, we don't get excited about that. Oh, we'll get excited that the mortgage is paid off. Hallelujah. But we don't get excited about fasting. So hopefully when we are finished with the word of God today, you will have a different perspective and you will see the value of fasting along with our praying. Now, we produced a, a pamphlet on biblical fasting. I saw some at the host desk. Now, I said this at 8.30. There was only a few of them there because they were left over from the week of prayer. But if, if there's, there's uh, not any more there at the host desk and you would like one, it's very informative, give you a lot of information about fasting, practical stuff as well. If there aren't any more there and you would like a copy, just call the church office and we will make sure you get one or we'll bring some over um, on next week Sunday and they'll be, they'll be available. All right, so fasting then, as I begin this, is a biblical practice. That's the first thing we need to understand. It is a biblical practice, and we can see it throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, this practice of fasting. Just to give you an idea, first from the Old Testament, I just want to read a couple of verses to show you um, how the Old Testament uh, people of God believed in and practiced fasting. In Ezra, the prophet, Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21, Ezra says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ava, that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So Ezra said we needed to seek God for the right way for us. That's prayer to seek God for the right way for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. So he said, we called for a time of fasting, along with their praying. And then verse 23, he says, so we fasted and entreated our God for this. That's prayer. 
We fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. All right, that's the Old Testament. Now, Jesus, let's take a look at a few references concerning Jesus and fasting. Jesus and fasting. Jesus was a savior who practiced fasting in his own life. And we have an indication of that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, then, when, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. So Jesus, at this stage, as he started his ministry, began with 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And of course, while he was there up in the mountain, it is, it is uh, very obvious that he would have also been in communion with God. So again, the idea of prayer and fasting. And then Jesus did some teaching on fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast, now notice the wording, he says, when you fast. That means he expects fasting to be done. Not if you fast, when you fast. All right, so he says, when you engage in a time of fasting, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. You know, walking around with their faces all screwed up. You know, this is a drudgery. You know, this is an unpleasant thing that I'm going through, this fasting thing. Jesus says, uh-uh, don't be like that. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Now, unless the church calls a period of fasting and you decide that you are going to be a part of that fasting, or as a smaller group, you decide as a smaller group that you are going to do some fasting, nobody needs to know that you are fasting. Nobody needs to know. And that's why Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who walk around with their faces all screwed up, all disfigured and walking around so people can ask them a question, well, why do you look so sick? Why do you look so down? Why do you look so painful? And their answer, of course, will be, because I'm fasting. You know, as though fasting is some torture, some spiritual torture that I'm going through. He says, no, do not be like that. Do, you don't have to appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus says, they have their reward. The minute somebody acknowledges you and pats you on the back and gives you a little praise for engaging in fasting, you have received your reward for fasting. There's nothing else to get. There's nothing else to receive from God as a result of your fasting. If you do it this way, Jesus says. But then he says in verses 17 and 18, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. Nobody needs to know you're fasting. You know, you don't have to say it, nor do you have to look it. Nobody needs to know. Fix yourself up. You know, brush your hair. Put on your makeup. You know, um, take a bath. Whatever. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to look like you are going through some torturous situation. 
Jesus says. Don't do that, he says. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But he says, to your father who is in the secret place. Only you and God need to know that you're fasting. Now, I'm not saying you can't absolutely not, never, ever tell somebody that you're fasting. But what I'm talking about is the motive for telling them. That's where the problem lies. So Jesus says, fast to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You don't need the reward of man or, or to, to, to have man reward you in some way for fasting. Because when you fast, according to how God wants you to fast, then God is going to reward you openly. Your fasting is done in secret, but God rewards you openly. In other words, the only thing that men will see is the result of your fasting without ever knowing that you've been fasting. Do you understand what I'm saying? They will see the result of the fasting, not even having an inkling that you have been fasting. And so that's how Jesus said, that we ought to conduct ourselves when we are fasting. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now let's take a look at the apostles and fasting. In Acts chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, a Gentile church, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, also known as the Apostle Paul. So there were these church leaders, apostles, prophets, gathered together in the church in Antioch. And verse 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. As they ministered to the Lord, as they served God, as they engaged in communion with God on whichever level and uh, uh, however they chose to do it, but as they were communing with God, ministering to God, they also engaged in fasting at the same time. And it was as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting that the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago, that these were the first missionaries that were sent out by God. And they were sent out in an atmosphere of prayer and fasting. And so the apostles saw this as something important to their personal and collective spiritual lives. And then in Acts chapter 14 verse 23, when it came time for elders to be appointed in the churches, verse 23 says, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the time had come now as the apostles would move on from one church that they had established to establish other churches. The time came when elders had to be appointed to lead those churches. Elders or elder comes from the, the Greek word presbyteros from which we get our word presbytery. And so out of that word also comes pastors as well. So when the time came for these offices of ministry to be appointed in the local church, the apostles didn't just jump up and choose people and do it. 
you know, they didn't just jump up and have an ordination service and set these people in order. The Bible says they did this with prayer and fasting. Because these appointments have to be God's appointments. These appointments have to be the right appointments. Otherwise, you're going to have chaos in the church. So they saw the necessity of praying and fasting before they set these leaders in place and commended them to the Lord and to the church. So fasting was an important part of their life and also their ministry. Now in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, fasting was also an important part of their life as well. But as Jesus indicated, there were always people from way back in the Old Testament days who, who had their own ideas about fasting and fasted in ways that they wanted to, fasted for reasons that they wanted to, fasted with the hope of getting results from God by the way they wanted to do their own fasting. So it's nothing new. When Jesus came along, that was already happening. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, we see where God rebukes Israel first. He rebukes them first for this way of fasting. Fasting in a way that was not pleasing to him. Fasting in a way that was not prescribed by him. He rebukes the people for fasting in this way. Let's take a look at it. In verses 3 through 5, before we get to our text beginning in verse 6. Verse 3 says, these are the people's attitude now towards God and their fasting. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we fasted and you have not granted anything that we've been asking because of our fasting? We have seen no results. Why are we fasting and you don't see our fasting because we don't see any results? This is what they're asking God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Why have we deprived ourselves of food to go through this period of fasting? Why have we allowed ourselves to go through this physical discomfort because of denying ourselves necessary food? Why have we gone through this and you haven't noticed? Because they didn't see any results from it. So they're asking God, why are we doing this? And you aren't paying any attention to us. As though it was God's fault. Not realizing that it was their own fault. Why they weren't seeing anything as a result of their fasting. And God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You don't, you don't consecrate yourselves. You don't set the fasting aside as something that is holy unto the Lord. You do whatever you please. And he describes some of what they did in a, in, in a little while. We'll read them. But he says, you do whatever you please. And one of those things he says, and exploit all your workers. So you proclaim in the morning that you are going on a fast. You're beginning this fast. And then you go to work and misuse, abuse, and mistreat your workers. That's why you can't see nothing from the fast. You can't see any results. Because you say you're fasting, and then you go right out, and you mistreat other people. You might as well eat your breakfast, 
eat your lunch, eat your dinner, and fill your belly the whole day long. And that's why God was taking no notice in their words of what they were doing. Not only that, verse 4 he says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. You're fasting, but you're still quarreling. You're still engaging in strife, he says. And in striking each other with wicked fists. One translation I looked at said you're getting in fist fights. Now, whether that's literal or figurative fists, I, I'm not sure, but I know it's fists. He says, you, 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 you're fasting, but you're fighting with each other. That's the bottom line. You're quarreling, there's strife, you're mistreating people, and you are also fighting with each other. And you say you're fasting. He says, the rest of verse 4, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Or you cannot fast the way you are fasting and expect for me to answer. Expect for me to reward you for your fasting. This kind of fasting, God says, brings no results from heaven. As a matter of fact, I don't even hear your voice when you call during your time of fasting. When you pray during your time of fasting in this manner, I don't even hear you. So don't expect anything from on high. And then he says in verse 5, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? The fasting that they were doing. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is that all there is to fasting? Just for you uh, to, to, to fast on a particular day and go around deprived of food and maybe even feeling a little weak because you haven't gotten the nourishment that you would usually get? Is, is, that, is, that, is that the kind of fasting that I have prescribed? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Simply walking around with your head hung down, holding your stomach because of the gas pains and walking around, you know, looking so humble and so forth and then spreading out the sackcloth and putting ashes upon yourself for other people to see that you are fasting. Is that, is that the kind of fasting that I have prescribed, God says? Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? He says, is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is that what you call a fast and you think that's acceptable to me, God says? And the answer is absolutely not. It isn't. So he rebukes them for fasting in a way that is displeasing to God. And then in our text, beginning at verse 6, he begins to tell them about the fast that he has chosen. The kind of fasting that he recognizes. And the kind of fasting that he rewards. And so we are going to look at three things from the text of scripture. Number one, the purpose of God's chosen fast. That's the title of my message, by the way, God's chosen fast. The purpose of God's chosen fast. Number two, the power of God's chosen fast. And number three, the impact of God's chosen fast. So let me say right at the outset, there is a way of fasting that pleases God. There is a kind of fasting that God will reward. 
There is a kind of fasting that God is pleased with. And this is the kind of fasting that we ought to engage in. Not like these hypocrites as Jesus referred to people who engaged in that type of fasting. So let's take a look at this then. Number one, the purpose of God's chosen fast. God says, I have chosen a type of fasting. And number one, here is the purpose of my chosen fast. First he says, verse 6, is this not the fast that I have chosen? And then he outlines three or two areas of fasting and the type of fasting that he has chosen. The purpose, he says, number one, is a spiritual purpose. Purpose number one is a spiritual purpose. There is a spiritual purpose for fasting. Fasting is not just denying ourselves food. There ought to be a spiritual purpose behind the fasting. Otherwise, just go on a diet. He says, the kind of fast that I have chosen is, number one, to loose the bonds of wickedness. To loose the bonds of wickedness. And this kind of loosing of the bonds of wickedness is something spiritual. Because you can't really loose the bonds of wickedness unless people are delivered spiritually first. Have a life change that then changes behavior. So what I mean by that is, you can take a person and lock them up in prison. But they still spend their time in prison in the bond of wickedness. And that's why when they come out of prison, they continue with the same lifestyle. But God says you can add a kind of fasting to your praying for people like that, that is pleasing to me, that has the power to free people and loose people from the bonds of wickedness as we make intercession on their behalf. Now let me say right up front because I'm going to repeat this a number of times. The power is not in the fasting itself. The power is God's power being released into people's lives as a result of our fasting and intercession on their behalf. So the power is always from God. Just because you deny yourself a plate of food doesn't automatically mean that you are going to be able to do some supernatural work. The supernatural power is God's power. And it's the power that God responds with when we fast, the kind, we do the kind of fasting that's pleasing to him. The power of God is released. So to loose the bonds of wickedness, number two, to undo heavy burdens. And sometimes these are burdens in our own lives, as well as when, when we pray and intercede for others whose lives are burdened down with some situation of some kind or the other. Some experience in life, something that happened in life that's been a burden on them for years and years and years and years. God says we can assist them in our praying and our fasting, which when the power of God is released, will undo the heavy burdens and relieve people of those heavy burdens that they carry around in life. And so fasting is a powerful instrument in helping people to be delivered. Number three, he says, also this kind of fasting is to let the oppressed go free. Again, it's the same principle. 
the kind of spiritual power that's necessary to free people from whatever kind of oppression that they may be going through. So, so, so fasting has this spiritual element and spiritual purpose that when we engage in it on behalf of others, along with our praying, we can help people by the power of God to be, to be freed from any kind of oppression. That's powerful stuff. God says, this is the kind of fasting that I have chosen that can result in those kinds of things. And then number four, lastly, he says, in this category of spiritual purpose, he says, and that you break every yoke. Yokes of your own life and also of the lives of others. Now, I said this in the early service, so let me repeat it here to you again. If you have seen a picture of a yoke, then you understand what I'm saying. But back in the day, when they didn't have tractors to plow their ground, they had to use man-made manual plows to plow up the ground to plant their crops. And so what they did was attach that plow to an ox. And that ox would, the power of that ox, as the farmer holds the plow, the power of the ox would plow up the ground and get it ready for them to plant seeds. But then, if you wanted to get twice as much work done, or twice as much power behind the plow, what you would do is use two oxen instead of one ox. But in order for the two oxen to work together on your part, they had to be yoked together. In other words, if you had one ox free and the other ox free, and uh, you won there on the plow, whichever direction any of those oxen decided to go, you will go in too. And your plowing would not have been in a straight row. But instead, whichever ox pulled to the left or pulled to the right, you know, they could go wherever they wanted to go. And so the yoke, the purpose of the yoke was to keep the ox together so that they could, all, so that they could both go in the same direction at the same time. The yoke was made out of wood. Two parts to the yoke. A hole cut What's that? If you go halfway, if you're doing a circle, see I wasn't the best in math. If you're doing a circle and you go halfway, I want the degrees, y'all smart, eloquent students. 180. Right. See, I've been to government school, y'all been to private school, and y'all don't know that. 180 degrees on the part of the yoke that would go on the top of the neck of the oxen. And the same thing uh, for the bottom part of the yoke that would go under the neck of the oxen. So the head of the, the neck of the, the ox would be inside of this yoke. And then they would lock the pieces together. So the oxen could not get free unless the farmer decided to free them from the yoke. And so that is what we are talking about. When we are yoked up with situations that are, are destructive to our lives. Or if we get ourselves in some situation where we are yoked in with the devil. We are yoked up with the devil doing his will, doing his plans, following his directions, and living lives that are controlled by him. Because we are yoked up with him. The two of us are yoked together. I can't go the way I want to go because I'm yoked to him. 
or I can't do what I want to do and be who I want to be because this situation, this negative situation has me yoked to it and it's messing up my life. Well, God says the kind of fast that I have chosen, he says, is able to break every yoke. And we are not talking here about the yoke on the oxen made out of that log of wood. We are talking spiritually. Every yoke upon your life or every yoke upon somebody else's life for whom you are making intercession, when we add this kind of fasting that pleases God to our praying, it has the spiritual capacity and power to break the yoke. Now notice he doesn't say remove the yoke. Because to remove the yoke, you have to unlock it and take it off. And if you remove the yoke, somebody can put it back. He says, break the yoke. That means when the yoke is broken, it will not be able to be put back together and put on you again. Or the person that you are praying for and fasting for in this regard. And so that's the spiritual side of the power of God's chosen fast. Then there is a practical purpose to God's chosen fast. Continuing in those verses, he says, it's not this kind of fast to share your bread with the hungry. See, he says it's not just a matter of you going without food. It's a matter of you having an attitude towards helping somebody else that's in need. So the food that you deprive yourself of, give it to somebody else who needs it and don't have the capacity to get it. The money that you don't spend on the lunch that you are fasting, use it to buy lunch for somebody else who doesn't have the money to buy lunch. Very simple. You know, uh, uh, get out of ourselves during these times of fasting and be a blessing to somebody else in need. And then the second thing he says is that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. Now, in those days, you know, that, that, that was a normal kind of thing. That, that was easily done. Nowadays, you know, you bring somebody to your house and they're scoping you out. 65-inch TV. Boy, I wonder how much I could get for that. I'm just saying. But... Even if you do not bring the poor to your house, minister to the poor in some other way that they need to be ministered to. All God is simply saying is, the kind of fasting that's acceptable to me is that when you are going through this kind of a fast, do not focus on yourself, but focus on trying to be a blessing to somebody else in need. And then the last one he says, in this practical Purpose section, or pardon me, the third one, he says, when you see the naked, that you cover him. When you see somebody that needs clothing to cover themselves, bless them with something to cover themselves. And lastly, he says, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh. You could read it in some of the other translations, and it simply says, don't hide yourself from your family. Now, he's not talking about locking yourself in a room and hiding yourself from the members of your family in your house. What he's talking about is, during your fast, 
during your fast, a family member calls and says, I need $20 to buy some food. And all of a sudden you start saying, is this on? Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Mary, Mary, you still there? Can't hear you, Mary. Mary, Mary. Or some family member asks for help in some other way and you decide, I ain't got no money in the bank. Sorry, I'm broke. And you know it ain't true. That's hiding yourself from assisting your family. Now, I know how we, I know we all have some, some family members. They are parasites. All right? We all have some of them. You know, if they could get it from you rather than take it out of their own pocket, they will try to get it from you. We're not talking about that truth. We're talking about genuine situations. But because we don't want to help, we hide ourselves. But we're saying we're fasting. Boy, I'm on three days now. I'm on three days. Glory to God. I got four more to go. And then Cousin John calls you right after you finish talking to your friend. And says, can you please help me buy some gas? I can't get to work tomorrow morning. And all of a sudden, all them tongues going back in. <laughs> back down in your belly. Don't start me, Akira. Don't, don't, don't start me laughing, please. Hiding yourself from your own flesh, but you are fasting towards God. See, that's what God, that's, that's what God is saying. You know, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You might as well eat, brother. You might as well eat. You know, but when you are engaging in this kind of fasting that I have chosen, look, look, look for these ways that you can be a blessing to somebody else during the fasting. And guess what? You'll be a blessing to somebody else. You'll be a blessing to yourself at the same time during that period of fasting. Trust me. Okay, so that's number one. The purpose of, of this God's chosen fast. Number two, the power of God's chosen fast is recorded in verse 8 through 11 of the text. And there are three things that God mentions in these verses. The first is life transformation. The power of God's chosen fast, the power of that kind of a fast is able to transform our lives and transform the lives of others too if we are praying and fasting for them, but transform our lives. All right? He says, verse 10 first, and then we'll go to verse 8. He says, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, you, 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 you're, you're being a blessing to others while you are going through your fasting period. He says, if you do this, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. You know, sometimes in life we feel that you know, we are being overwhelmed or overcome by stuff that happens. Just life sometimes 
that happens feels as though we are being overcome and feels like we are going through a period of darkness in our lives. We can't see exactly what it is that we want to do or where we want to go or how we want to do. Just covered with darkness sometimes. I don't know, maybe you've never been there. It, it, it doesn't have to be literal blackness of darkness, but in our minds and in our thoughts, there's such confusion and, you know, we, 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 we are unsure of what to do and, you know, just confused and overwhelmed. God says, if you engage in the kind of fast that I have chosen and you do it the way that I have prescribed you to do it, then he says, your light, the light that's in you, because we all have a light in us and his name is Jesus Christ. The light, he says, that is in you shall dawn in the darkness. So what appears to be darkness, he says, when you engage in this kind of fasting, the light that's in you will counteract the darkness that tries to envelop you. Now I said to the early service this morning that, you know, if you don't get up until the sun is already up, you would not know what that really looks like or means. The light dawning in the darkness. Because you would have been sleeping when the light dawned. But if you are accustomed to getting up early and you look outside your window and it's dark on the outside. Dark. And then over a period of time, you gradually watch that darkness dissipate. And eventually light dawns and eventually the sun comes up over the horizon god says in the midst of your darkness if you engage in the kind of fast that i have chosen in the midst of your darkness you will gradually see the light that's on the inside of you dawn in the midst of the darkness transforming and changing the darkness into light itself if you engage in this kind of fasting And my question this morning is, if this is available to us as Christians, why would we have no interest in fasting God's way? Why would we have no interest in fasting if God says, here are the kind of results that you can see and experience if you fast my way? How, how, how could we just let that Go by. And then he says, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. So eventually, when that light dawns in the darkness, eventually what was pitch black darkness outside will now become like noonday. There is a difference between the darkness of night and the sun shining at noon. At least somebody agrees with that. God says that's the difference that will be in your life. If you engage in the kind of fasting that I have chosen. Then he says in verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Healing. Healing and fasting. Healing. Fasting. I didn't write it. God did. 
healing fasting, he says, your healing shall break forth or spring forth speedily. God's kind of fasting has value, has power to it. And I think we do ourselves an injustice when we decide that fasting is not for me. You know, now I know some people have physical ailments. Some people are on medication and fasting is not advisable. Or, you know, you may be able to do a certain degree of fasting. We understand that, all right? You don't get yourself in unnecessary physical problems by disobeying what is prescribed for your physical health and well-being by fasting. God knows exactly what your physical body is. But what I'm saying is, those who are able to fast, we do ourselves an injustice. And we deny ourselves some of these things that God says results from the fasting that he has chosen. Why would we do that? Don't we want everything that God wants for us? I don't know about you, but I do. And if some of that comes through fasting, then I can do my fasting. God's way. And then he says, your righteousness shall go before you. Your righteousness, your right standing with me, will lead you, will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So your right standing in Christ goes before you, and the glory of God follows you. Come on, man. Fasting? Fasting is connected to this kind of stuff? Fasting? You know, we're talking about the glory of God, this and the glory of God, that, and all these kinds of things. God says, if you exercise the kind of fast that I have chosen, your righteousness, your right standing in Christ will go before you and my glory will follow you. Fasting. And then the second thing God says in relation to the power of fasting is unlimited access to God. Tell me one person in here who would not like to have unlimited access to God. Now, to be theologically correct, through Christ, we have access to God. We do. But sometimes things happen in our lives that interfere with that access. Sometimes we end up doing things that are displeasing to God that interferes with the access. Sometimes we engage in things, in lifestyles that are displeasing to God that interferes with the access. But God says, if you engage in the fast that I have chosen, the kind of fasting that I have chosen, your access will be unlimited. Everything else, all things considered. You live in right, you know, and stuff like that. He says, unlimited access. Here's what the, what the verse says, verse 9. Then you shall call. You engage in the fasting that is pleasing to me, that I have prescribed. Then, shall, then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. 
You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Oh God, I love it. Here I am, God says. That's the kind of access, God says, engaging in my chosen fast makes available to you. All things considered. You will call, I will answer. You will cry and I will say, here I am. Amazing. How can we not want that? How, how can we just, you know, fasting isn't for me. And just not want stuff like this. The third thing God says there about the power of his chosen fast is guidance and refreshing. He says, verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually. How many of you need to be guided by God? I need it every day. There have been many times in the course of my Christian life, there have been many times in the, in the course of uh, my ministry, especially in pastoral ministry, where I needed God's guidance because I did not know what to do. And I said to the early service this morning that I've been in full-time ministry for 40 years. Well, my brain wasn't clicking too good when I said that. It's actually 38 years full-time because I taught for two years at Kingsway Academy. Now, it didn't mean that I was out of ministry. I was out of full-time ministry because the majority of my time during the course of a day had to be given to my responsibilities as a school teacher. But during the course of those years, I have had numerous times when I simply did not know what to do, what decision to make, what direction to take. And I needed guidance. That God says, if you engage in the kind of fast that I have chosen, I will guide you continually. Every day, all day. Continually means continually. All day, every day, I will guide you in making the right choices, in making the right decisions, in going the right places, in talking to the right people. I will guide you, he says. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Dear God, you, 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 you can't be guided more perfectly than being guided by the all-seeing eye of God? Who sees and knows everything that's around you? And he says, I will guide you with that kind of an eye? Engaging in this kind of fasting, God says, that's what you will be privy to? Psalm 48 verse 14, for this is God... Our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Until you die, God says. I will be your guide. So how can we think fasting is not profitable? I will be your guide. John 16, 13, Jesus said, When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. God says that kind of guidance is what's available to you. In a New Testament context, through the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then you add fasting as a part of your life. It multiplies the effect of God's guidance in your life. 
And then he says, I will also satisfy your soul in drought. During the dry periods of your life, I will intervene and satisfy your soul. Have you ever had a dry period in your Christian life? Boy, I had some. And I'm not afraid to admit either. I had some dry places I've been in my Christian life. And I'm talking about being in the ministry as well. Dry periods. Then my praying wasn't what it ought to be. My Bible reading and study wasn't what it ought to be. And there were times in my Christian life, in ministry, where I read the Bible to prepare sermons. But didn't read it every day. Didn't read it as, a, as in meditating upon it. Or as in studying it. Or devotionally. But to prepare sermons. And there have been dry periods when I did not feel close to God. I wasn't committing any sin, don't get me wrong. Wasn't committing any sin. Just going through a dry spiritual period in my life. Now, I don't know, y'all you know, may have never experienced that. But transparency is golden. Thank God the older that I have gotten and the more mature that I've gotten in ministry over the years, there's been a whole, a whole lot less of that type, that type of thing. But there were, there were those times. God says, if you engage in the kind of fast that I have chosen, I will satisfy your soul in drought. In those dry times and periods, he says, I will satisfy your soul. Then you feeling that way. Go into a God's chosen kind of fast. And God says, I'll satisfy your soul in that dry period and get you out of it. And then he says, I will also strengthen your bones, the weak areas of your life. Bones deal with structure, the structure of your body, the weakened areas of your structure, the weakened areas of your life. God says, I will strengthen those. And then he says, lastly, you shall be like a watered garden. And I'm looking at some people right here in this congregation now that I know have backyard farms or backyard gardens. And you know what that garden or that farm looks like when it's not well watered. When the rains are not falling and you don't pick up that hose and water those plants and water those crops, you know what's going to happen. The earth is, is going to become dry and hard and even cracked. And the crops are going to wither. So you know what a garden looks like when it's not watered. Well, God says to ensure that that doesn't happen to your life, if you engage in the kind of fasting that, that I have chosen, he says, your life will be like a watered garden. You will always have what is necessary for spiritual life in your life. Like a watered garden, the, the ground will always be fresh. The crops will always receive what they need from the water. And the fruit will be born as a result of your soul being like a well-watered garden. And the last thing he says there, your life will also be, or your soul, you shall be like a spring of water 
whose waters do not fail. Like a spring of water that never runs dry. The water never dries up. He says, that's what you will be like. Fasting. God's chosen fasting has those kinds of possible results in our lives. Okay, let me conclude. Number three, the impact of God's chosen fast. Verse 12, he says, Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What is God talking about? When the people of God now, this is collectively, when the people of God decide that this is the kind of lifestyle that they are going to adopt, a fasted life, a fasting lifestyle, where fasting is done according to the fast that God has chosen, when we decide to do that, collectively it will have a national impact upon our nation. And God says, this is what, this is, he says to Israel, this is what, re, what will result in your land if you do fasting the way I have prescribed it. Let's take a look at them. Four things he mentions in the verse. He says, first of all, you shall build the old waste places. The desolate areas of your land. You will rebuild. You will build, literally and figuratively, you will build those desolate places. And when I think about our own country, how many desolate places we have in the life of our country right now? That need to be built. Built up. He says, you shall build the old waste places. You see, sometimes we take the old waste places and we just throw them away. They have no more value, no more worth. We just throw them away. God doesn't. God moves on. God moves us forward. God takes us from strength to strength, from glory to glory. God moves us to higher heights in his plan, in his work, in his church. But he never throws away the old. We may have moved on from some of the old, but in God's eyes, the old always has value because it was the old that got us to where we are now. Oh, I preach him better than y'all, amen. It was the old that got us to where we are now. So even though we may have moved further from the old, we don't treat the old as though it has no value. That's why Jesus said every scribe in the kingdom knows how to go into his treasure chest and bring out from that treasure chest the things that are new and the things that are old. And benefit from the value of both. So God says, you'll build the old waste places, the desolate places. The value, the worth of those you'll build again. They may not be what you live by in the present. But you will recognize the value of them and treat them with dignity and respect. 
says, number two, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Foundations are, a foundation is that upon which a structure is built. And the same thing applies in churches as well as in nations. We think that we can just discard the foundations and the structure will be sound. It's a big mistake. You can't dig up the foundation on which the structure stands and then throw it away as though it has no more worth or value. Because when you dig out the foundation, the structure automatically falls. No foundation, no structure. So God says, when you engage in this type of fasting on a national level or bring it a little closer home, on a church level, you will raise up the foundations of many generations. The foundations of the generation that is past, you will raise up and you will keep the value of those foundations and then you will continue building in the present generation and you will make preparation for the future generation. So God says all generations will be impacted by you on a national level or on a local church level. All generations. If you engage in what I am talking about, God says, you will raise up many generations. The foundations of many generations. I said in the early service, and I think I'll say it again. The reason why I'm standing where I am standing today is because the generation before me laid a foundation for me to be here today. There were people, Christian people, in my family and in the church that I was in who raised up a foundation for the future of my life and many others. They took me to church. They made sure I was in Sunday school. They took me to church. During the night service when I would be in church as a youngster, six, seven years old, as a youngster and fall asleep during the night service, I fell asleep on her lap. Six, seven, eight years old in church in the night. Night service. We don't know what night service is now unless it's Wednesday night. But that's the kind of foundation that was laid. There were Sunday school teachers who taught me the word in Sunday school every Sunday. Youth group leaders who taught me the word every week in those groups. Because they were laying a foundation for the future, the future generation. A lot of them now have passed on. And a lot of them are very aged today. But I am telling you that I stand where I stand because they made a commitment and they were dedicated to make sure that a foundation for the future generation was laid as far as their contribution was concerned and as far as the church's contribution was, con was concerned. When I, when I was six, seven, eight, 
9, 10, 11 years old, my auntie, Sister Moss, used to take me to women's prayer meeting. You hear me? I was a little boy. But she went to women's prayer meeting every Monday morning before she went to work. And back in those days, you used to walk to work. So first, we walked from Minnie Street to Calvary Bible Church, right down here. And then from there, we went to where she worked. But she carried me with her to women's prayer meeting. And I could remember, I could remember those women kneeling down, kneeling down at those metal chairs. They prayed for an hour because everybody had to go to work. But this was 6 a.m. 6 a.m. And when the weather wasn't all that good, here we were walking down Collins Avenue, my hand in my aunt's hand, walking down Collins Avenue. The draft is falling. Now, don't laugh when I say this. When it was a drafty morning, she would tie my head with a head cloth. Lord Jesus. She would, <laughs> she would, tie, <laughs> she would tie my head with a head cloth. And we'd walk to women's prayer meeting. That's why I'm here today. Foundations. Foundations for the future. You know? And uh, that's the kind of thing God says will happen. And then number three, he says, you shall be called. I'll be finishing in a little while. You shall be called the repairer of the breach. A breach was a gap in a wall. The wall was built for the security of those within the wall. And for some reason, a part of that wall would have been broken down. So it created in the wall what was known as a breach. Because the safety inside of the wall was now compromised. Because the wall had a hole in it. Had a breach in it. How many holes are in the, in the walls of this nation? God says, if you engage in this kind of fasting, you will be a repairer of the breach. You will be able to make a contribution to filling the gap in your nation. Powerful. And lastly, he says, you shall be called the restorer of streets to dwell in. You know, when an enemy came against your city and devastated it, raised it, wiped it out, things were left as rubble and rubbish. God says, if you fast the way I have chosen, it will lead you to the place where you will be a restorer of streets to dwell in. In other words, in the case of the city that, has, that was destroyed and pathways, roads, and streets were all blocked off because of the rubble and the rubbish and the destruction, God says you will be, you will be 
the one or like the one who will be able to restore those streets, clear those streets. Streets, streets, uh, streets are to provide access and direction. You got here to church this morning because you came along streets that brought you here and directed you here. Every street you turned on was directing you here. God says, we, if we engage in this kind of fasting, we will be the kind of people who on a national level will be able to restore the streets of our city, of our country, and make it possible, the last part says, for people to dwell in, for people to settle down in. How many directionless people are in our country today? And right in the middle of all this COVID, don't know what to do, don't know what, where to turn. Don't, just no direction. God says you'll restore those streets. People can walk in them. People can get where they need to go. People can have access and people will have direction to where they want to go, whatever that destination is. So we've got to position ourselves and we've got to, we've got to take the fasting more seriously than we do. And I'm talking about God's chosen fast. God says, that's the kind of fasting I want. When you fast like that, then that will be a productive fast. And you will see results. Not walking around holding your belly because gas pain, but you, you, will, you will see results, God says. Real fasting. Biblical fasting. God's chosen fast. Stand to your feet, please.